Good morning, everyone. I've been, I think I've been blessed by the amount of people that have come up to me and said that they've been praying for me this morning. Not that I'll be terrible, but they'll be anointing. I um, recently read a book by a guy called Tim Keller, a pastor over in the States, and he said that there's a difference between a good sermon and great preaching. A good sermon is one that is crafted well, where the, the speaker can communicate eloquently and effectively with great ideas and all of that kind of stuff. But great preaching, that's the stuff that you really want. Because great preaching is when the anointing of the Holy Spirit falls and people's hearts are opened and they can receive fresh bread right from the presence of God. And um, I hope that I have a good sermon. But I'm praying that there is great preaching this morning. And that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts. And that we can receive from God that which he wants to share with us that it can change and transform our lives such that we can see the kingdom of God extended in our sphere of influence right here, right now. I should introduce myself, if you don't know me. My name is Harry, uh, Dave mentioned. Um, I, I've been working here now at the church for five years. Five years. I know some days it seems quite short, some days it seems very long. <coughs> Um, amongst uh, the things that I do, I'm, uh, I'm the student guy, and uh, I absolutely love my job. Um, I get to go around and tell students in particular how great Jesus is, and be able to help them in their walk and journey of faith. And uh, there is a, a, just a huge privilege in that. Um, I have a wonderful wife. She's the best. I'll fight you about it. She is the best. <laughs> Gigi's looking at me there. <coughs> Um, she's over next door leading the Sunday school. I've got uh, three great kids as well. Isaac, who's three, Phoebe, who's two, and Olive, who turns one in a couple of weeks. So we are our hands full, as you can imagine. Phoebe, bless her, um, when we were trying to extract things that they were grateful for, um, mummy got down and said, um, so what are you grateful for? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, are, you, are you grateful for food? No. Are you grateful for daddy? No. No guesses as to who favorite parent is within our family. But one of the, um, the crazes that has filled our household of late is that of Bluey. Has anyone ever heard of Bluey? Oh, Bluey is fantastic. I'm hoping that the screen will come up. There, uh, hopefully a picture of Bluey will appear up there for you. And... Um, <coughs> Bluey is fantastic. If you've not watched it, it's great for parents, it's great for grandparents. In fact, it's just great TV. It's the only show that is avowedly for toddlers that adults can watch and genuinely enjoy. I, I absolutely love it. And my favorite episode, there's a, a, a freeze frame from it there, is one called Dance Mode. Now, in Dance Mode, you have Bandit, who's the dad. He, he um, eats the last chip of his youngest daughter, Bingo. And she is devastated, absolutely devastated that her chip is gone. And so he says, is there anything that we can do to make it up to you? And uh, the, the children, um, they convene together and they decide, yes, dance mode. And what dance mode means is that there can be any time in a public setting or in a private setting where they come and they hit the tail of mummy or daddy, say dance mode, and they must start dancing. So they have three goes. They have three goes. 
And uh, the first one, uh, they're looking to cross a pedestrian um, crossing, and uh, there's radio blaring out from one of the cars, and um, Bluey, who is the oldest daughter, she's the one that's closest to us, she takes a dance mode from Bingo, and she, she does dance mode on her mum, and so her mum, across this pedestrian crossing, uh, gives it her all. And then uh, they go into a post office, and Chili, the mum, she takes the next dance mode off Bingo, and uh, gets the dad, Bandit, to dance for all that he can in front of the clerk master who's there trying to serve him with a growing queue of people behind. Deeply, deeply embarrassing. And finally, we get to the culmination of the episode where they come before a crowd of people that are listening to a busker who's putting on some funky dance music. And the crowd is enormous. And you can see the shiftiness and the apprehension growing in mum and dad and Chili and Bandit. And Bingo suddenly realizes this is my chance to finally do dance mode the way that I want to. And she gets ready to do it and they take their tails away and they say, no, please, no, we will buy your dance mode off you. And so they give her, they bribe her, a great parenting tactic, they bribe her with 20 Australian dollars And they go to a shop, and Bluey convinces Bingo to buy a toy that she doesn't even want. And they come back to the car, and this is the moment here where they're sat in the car, and Bingo is just really sad. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, she's just very upset that she's not been able to do what has been promised to her. That her parents have, have not stayed true to who they are as parents in wanting to do that which they need to do for their kids. And so they come again and they say, what can we do to make it right? What can we do to make it right? And so with a vengeful look in her eye, Bingo drags them back to the crowd of people. And so the family has stood there and Bandit shouts with his tail ready to be hit. He says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm doing this for my kids. And then the tail is hit, dance mode is activated and they dance for all that they can in front of this crowd of people. And of course, the crowd cheer, and they absolutely love it. And for me, this is a really heartwarming episode. It's really funny, but it's also really challenging. In my limited experience as a parent, I know that there have been times when my kids have wanted me to do something in a public setting that I'm just a bit embarrassed about. Eating my children, for instance. I'm not actually eating my children. But there's plenty of other occasions where they've been wanting to interact with me and I've just been like, no, not yet. I've not even bribed them, not even offered them chocolate or money or anything like that. Just, just no, not right now. And there's a challenge to me because am I comfortable in my identity as a father? Am I secure enough to not care what anybody else thinks and just give what I need to give to my kids in any situation? And it's appropriate as we talk about our identity in Christ. What would our extension of the kingdom of God look like if we were willing to stand in front of a crowd of strangers, even stranger than this crowd of people here, and say, ladies and gentlemen, I am doing this for Jesus. I am doing this for Jesus. Are we secure enough in our identity? Are we, are we <coughs> that way founded in Jesus to be able to be a fool for him because our church is built on the wisdom of fools 
is it not? For you were a fool to come and found this church in the eyes of everybody else. Am I right in saying that? Oh, yes. <clears throat> you look at the Bible and the stories in the Bible and, and Peter and the disciples, is, as the Holy Spirit descends, they go out into the street and everyone thinks that they're drunks, babbling nonsense. They look like fools. But if they were concerned with what the people had thought, if they weren't secure in who they were in Christ, they would not have seen 3,000 people added to the church that day and the birth of the New Testament church. God, in his wisdom, which can seem like foolishness, where infinity was dwindled into infancy, born to nobodies from a backward town into a nation that was under the thumb of a Roman Empire. His son came to change the world. Foolishness! And when Jesus came, he spoke in parables, he spoke in mysteries, people found it hard to follow him. When people did want to follow him, he discouraged them from following him. He didn't want to start this military revolution to throw off the shackles of the Roman Empire. People turned against him. And it culminates in a day where he is hanging on a cross. The weight of the world upon this guy's body. It looks like foolishness. And yet because he was totally secure in who he was, he was able to do something that changed the lives of billions of people across this world, that changed the course of history forever. Because he was willing to be a fool in the eyes of everyone else. I was listening to a story by uh, Mike St. Smith, and uh, he was telling about how um, he was preparing to, to preach down in, in a church in Swansea, and God had said to him, um, uh, I want you to give a present to somebody before your preach starts. And he said, no, I'll look like a fool doing that. I've got my preach to do. I just want to do my preach. And uh, as he went about his day, he was walking through the shops and God said, he said it was very audible. He said, buy that basket and fill it with presents. And he wasn't foolish enough to ignore God there. <laughs> he bought this basket and he, he filled it with presents. And um, it, it came to his preach. It was January the 9th. And uh, he just said, this is a bit unusual, but um, uh, I just feel like um, there's somebody here today and it was their birthday over Christmas and they just feel like um, people have been forgetting about it. Um, is, there, is there anybody here who, who matches that description? And uh, this lady puts her hands up. And uh, he says, that's wonderful. I've got a present for you. And so he comes and he brings this present and he says to her, he says, I just want you to know God loves you. And God wants you to know that he notices you. He knows what's going on in your life. He's got a plan and he's got a purpose. That was it. And then he carried on with his preach. And the next day, he receives an email from this woman that says, you know, I, I just came to church just off a whim, really. I just wanted to see if God noticed me. Just wanted to see if God noticed me. Willing to be a fool opened up 
the life of somebody else. Now that person is baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, going on strong with God, willing to be a fool. My wife, Bonnie, when we were over in the Philippines, um, <clears throat> we had this really difficult student and she had gone through some stuff and she was just really, really hard work and Bonnie invested loads of time into her. I said, stop it, it's foolish. Waste of your time, stop it. And um, she... Honestly, just there was no breakthrough at all. And it came to this, this time where they sat in silence together for 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Foolishness. Waste of time. And Bonnie just felt moved by the Spirit to say, do, do you just want to share something? And this girl, she, she just broke down in tears and she said, I just wanted to know that you cared. And her heart melted and she was just totally changed in an instant. Totally changed because Bonnie was willing to be a fool. Are we secure enough in our identity? Are we willing to be a fool for Jesus? <clears throat> We're going to talk about growing in Christ this morning. If you can go on to the next slide. And one of the analogies that I think is is really helpful for us to understand the importance of growing in Christ is um, that of going on holiday. I assume we're all comfortable um, with the notion of going abroad. Maybe most of us, if we've not been abroad, we just know what it's about. You, you pack your bags, you grab your passport, you get all your money changed, you toddle off in the car or on the train, go to the airport or port, get on the, the bus, get on the whatever, go on the plane, go on the boat. That's, that's the word I was looking for, boat. And you arrive in the other country, you've, you've made it, and you, you disembark, and then you go to customs, and you flash your passport, and you're in. You're in. It's wonderful. Whole country in front of you to explore. I remember when I went to um, China um, as a teenager with my school, whole country that I wanted to explore, and the first place I wanted to go to, McDonald's. McDonald's, get me there. Yeah, heathen. <clears throat> and and we, we step into this new country, we step into this new kingdom when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We, we read the story in the scripture of how he hung on a cross for us. I know, for me, my brokenness. I know my shame. I know my guilt. I know all of the mistakes that I've made. Actually, I don't know all the mistakes I made. I shudder to think of all the mistakes that I've made. And I know that I need rescuing. I know that I need the salvation of Jesus. And so I ask him to come into my life and bam, he's in my life. I live now by resurrection power. Jesus is my Lord. I'm into the new kingdom. But there's a whole culture, there's a whole world, there's a whole kingdom for me to explore. And I know for me that there have been moments in my life where I've just flashed my passports, I've got into the kingdom, and I just want McDonald's. I just want McDonald's. And I slip back into bad habits, I slip back into the old ways. And I'm not becoming a new citizen in this kingdom. Growing in Christ means that we take off the old and put on the new. We are no longer citizens of the world, but citizens in this kingdom. And it takes time to learn how to be that citizen. 
You talk to people that try and pass the test for the British citizenship exam. They've got to know stuff that I don't know. And I like to think I know quite a bit. It takes work. And this is why we have to discipline ourselves in growing in Christ. Um, in, in the book of Ephesians, if you hit the next slide, um, uh, in six, chapter 6, verses 10 to 17, we have the most fa- or one of the most famous analogies um, that we, we read in Scripture, and it's about the armor of God. And this is what it says. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to still stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Isn't God so gracious? that he gives us these unbelievable tools, this unbelievable resource to be able to go into the world. To make sure that we can be effective in the kingdom. If you hit the next slide, um, this is a, a picture of my dad. He's there on the, uh, your left-hand side, uh, pointing at his mates. My dad served um, in the bomb disposal unit over in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. And he has so many stories of how he nearly died. Um, he tells a story of how um, he, there was this uh, alert that there was a bomb in a car park, and so they clear everybody out. And, and, and so he, he goes in with a baseball bat, and he's smashing in all of the windscreens of these cars looking for this bomb. And somebody comes and says, you know, th- there's a bomb here. He says, I know, I'm looking for it. And it dawned on him, I'm looking for a bomb. What am I doing? looking for a bomb. But he will testify to the life-saving training that he was given. If he had not been trained how to use the equipment in certain situations, in certain circumstances, he would have not only been killed himself, but would have been responsible for the death of so many others. And there is a need for us to train ourselves in the weapons of the Spirit so that we can use them effectively, so that we can use them practically. Many of us will know the story of David and Goliath, and and David is is covered with all the weaponry and armor of the king, and he's like, I can't use it. It's useless to me. And God can come, and he gives us this armor, and he gives us these tools, and he gives us this weapon, but for some of us, we might have it, and it's just useless to us, because we just don't know how to use it. We need to train ourselves to be able to use it. So we're going to talk briefly about the spiritual disciplines. If you hit the next slide for me, Ryan. Um, I've got a a book here by a guy called Richard Foster. Anyone heard of Richard Foster? And this book is called The Celebration of Discipline. Um, There are loads of books 
on spiritual disciplines. In fact, when you look at the annals of church history, it's littered with people that have written stuff down so that we can learn how best to form ourselves spiritually. The Holy Spirit has a history. Isn't that fantastic? And it is to our detriment if we don't plumb the depths of this wisdom to be able to grow ourselves in Christ. And uh, what Eugene Peterson, the, the translator of the Message Bible, he says about this book, he says, Richard Foster has found the spiritual disciplines that the modern world stored away and forgot. This has been probably one of the most important books of the last 40, 50 years um, within the Christian Western world. Roger Aubrey said that this was really, really important for him um, when he was growing up. If those of you who know Roger Aubrey, that's my stamp of approval. Any book that Roger says, I buy <laughs> and I give it a read. Um, <clears throat> but, but what these spiritual disciplines are is they are, they are a pathway to allow God to transform us. Okay, if you are just pulling in this discipline to be able to transform yourself, it's not going to work. Okay, plants can grow roots, but unless those roots are set in soil and unless those roots are fed with water, the plant will wither and die. So the spiritual disciplines are the pathways, they are the roots that we grow that enable us to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can be growing roots without even realizing it. You might be sat here today not realizing that you've been disciplining yourself spiritually and you have these deep tap roots in good soil that are feeding you and helping you to be strong. But you also might be sat here and not realizing that you've got roots that are in soil that they shouldn't be. Maybe you don't have roots at all. Or maybe they're withering and dying because you're not putting them in the place where they can be watered. Um, Psalm 1, um, <clears throat> verses 1 to 3, um, and this is, shows the importance that, that the psalmist puts on these, these things. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. <clears throat> God wants us to be like a tree planted by the streams of living water. But we have to have our roots deeply set and we are responsible for making sure that those roots are deeply set. And so this morning, we're not going to go through the disciplines. There's, there's so many of them um, that it would take a long time <laughs> to go through it adequately. But I'm just going to give you some broad principles as we approach them. And in your midweek groups, I'm going to give a, a resource to your Connect Group leaders, and you'll be able to just discuss around some of the ones that Richard Foster talks about, but you'll have space to talk about any others that you know of as well. And I trust it will be a really wholesome time where you can learn from each other's experience. Um, <clears throat> but I've got, I think, four or five points, which we'll just very quickly go through. Um, and the first one is this, if we hit the next slide, thank you, is that diversity 
in our disciplines is really important. It's really, really important. Uh, the picture of this here, does anyone know what it is? This is the pando tree. Anyone heard of the pando tree? It is the largest organism by weight on the earth. It is absolutely enormous. It's a singular root system with 40,000 tree stems. It spans 108 acres and weighs a total of 6,000 tons. It is enormous. It's a natural wonder of the world. But its lack of diversity makes it vulnerable to attack. Whether it's from disease, whether it's from fire, whether it's from environment, whether it's from the animal kingdom, it is susceptible to catastrophic damage. And even now, it, researchers are saying that it's struggling, especially on its perimeter edges. <clears throat> if we lack a diversity in the realms of spiritual discipline, then we can make ourselves vulnerable to attack in different ways. If I know how to use my helmet of salvation, but not my breastplate of righteousness, guess where the enemy is going to hit you? He can be pretty smart at times. Uh, I know for me, just on a personal note, um, my, uh, I tend to love um, studying scripture. I love reading books. I love uh, getting the breadth of everything that you can. There's a lot of God to discover, I found. <laughs> and I've barely scratched the surface of it. But I absolutely love study. Study talks about getting that breadth. But in my, in my enthusiasm for that, I can maybe um, uh, neglect spending time meditating on the Word. And where you meditate on the Word, you let what comes from here come down to here. So I, I'm challenged by the Spirit on a personal level where I've got to diversify the way in which I am approaching my disciplines. Neither one is better than the other, but we've got to make sure that everything is done in, in good relation to each other. Diversity is really important. If we hit the next slide, just make sure. Oh, um, this um, is uh, a picture of the last Avengers film, I think. You might not be able to see it so clearly. On the bottom is the screen capture from the film itself, and above is what it looked like when they were actually filming. And uh, it's pretty unbelievable, really, because it, it really doesn't look anything like it at all. They're wearing some costumes. Spider-Man's in. I don't know what Spider-Man's in. You've got the Hulk, if you can see back there, who's not looking like the Hulk at all. He's just got this thing at the top to show you how tall he is. It, it just does not look like the reality of it at all. But it makes, it makes me admire the actors, because the actors are told by the director, this is what is happening. And you've got to make everybody else think that that is what is happening. And afterwards, we're going to put in all of these special effects and it's going to look great most of the time. And sometimes we can be doing these spiritual disciplines and it can feel like nothing is happening. It can feel like we're in the green screen room. But what are we going to do when the director tells us this is what is actually taking place in your life? When you pray, spiritual strongholds are tumbling down. When you meditate on my word, there is a washing that takes place that refines away and leaves only that which is gold. When you serve and act in submission to others, 
There is a crumbling of your own pride and a raising up in the spiritual authority of Jesus. Will we listen to the director? Not only listen to him, will we trust what he has to say? Will we believe the unbelievable? Next slide. Um, The the other thing, and I kind of touched on it a little bit before, but um, sometimes we can chase the discipline for the discipline itself. And and if you do this, what what ends up happening is that we get trapped in a legalism. And that's really, really dangerous. Because when there is legalism, when we put ourselves under a law, there is no freedom. And where there is no freedom, the Spirit is not there. Because Scripture tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we chase the discipline, not for the discipline itself, but for the freedom that it will bring to us. And the enemy will construct and construe ways in any way to rob you of any of the benefits that these things can have. And so it's important for us that we are checking our intentions, that we are checking our awareness of ourselves and what's going on to make sure that we're not falling into the trap of legalism. Sadly, movements have have started and carried on within Christianity um, that have had the, the life of the Spirit behind them, but it becomes a monument by which they can no longer move past because it's turned into a legalism. And whether it's done collectively or whether it's done individually, we've got to make sure that we are not those people. If we click the next slide, please. Um, Did anyone... um, This is before my time. (laughs) John's laughing away there. Um, Anyone heard of the the Legionnaires' disease crisis that took place in the 70s over in the States? 1976. Um, I, I... read about it recently, um, but I, I only got it from kind of American perspective, so I don't know what the, the kind of viewpoint was over here in the UK. But um, what happened in 1976 was that a group of people gathered, um, uh, veterans gathered in the Bellevue Hotel in Philadelphia. And uh, it transpired that a few days later, 189 of these people fell really quite seriously sick. And I think 29 people ended up dying. And so the, uh, the public health officials were called in to try and figure out what on earth was going on. They're called epidemiologists. And their job is to find the source of what caused the illness to make sure that an epidemic or a pandemic doesn't happen. We are quite au fait with this language, with all that's happened with COVID. Um, and uh, so they come into this and they're, they're doing all of these tests and doing all of these interviews to try and find out if there's anything that connects them. And the only thing that connects them is the fact that they were in or around this hotel during this period of, of three days, I think it was. And it, they couldn't find it. There was huge pressure on them. There was fear about swine flu over in the States at the time. And uh, there was threats of um, the big-time officials getting sacked because they weren't finding answers. But there was this one guy, a guy called jo- Joseph McDade. Joseph McDade was a microbiologist who, um, as he was doing um, some sample tests, because they pulled in everybody, he wasn't really tagged in on this project. But as he did some samples, he found a few of these rod-like bacteria on the sample. And initially, he thought nothing of it, but couldn't shake it off. And 
Um, eventually, he, he brought out all the samples back and he did loads and loads of tests and ended up reproducing loads of these particular kind of bacteria and realized that they were bacteria, that they'd never been discovered before. They were brand new. And that when he injected them into mice and did all the testing on them, that they, they produced the same results as what was happening in humans. And so when they took some more samples that they had, it was definitively proved that this is what had called the illness. Totally unexpected. A bacteria they had never, ever encountered before. It came to be called Legionella. And the reason it had never been encountered before was because um, it had never come into human contact before. Um, it thrives in, um, in water that is stagnant, uh, in the water coolers of air cons in, in America and Philadelphia at the time. Um, and so there were quite a few um, small epidemics that took place that had then been put back onto this, this brand new bacteria. And sometimes when we have these spiritual disciplines, there, it's like an, an epidemiological um, project that's going on internally. And what can happen is stuff raises up to the surface that we had no idea about that is killing us. And then the spirit comes and says, this is the thing that needs sorting out. Recently, um, I've been wanting to um, go through larger chunks of scripture. Um, and so over the last three or four months, I've been trying to go through the New Testament once every two weeks, which has been great. been really, really loving it. Um, and... Um, what was, what was kind of funny about it, I only realized this afterwards, is, um, I say it, it wasn't funny at all, it, it wasn't nice. Um, I found that my patience was on a, on a knife edge. I'd go home and stuff might happen and I'd really be, I, I, I just, I've described it to Bonnie as um, I'd be fighting the temptation to anger. And for those of you that know me, that is really just not me. Not me at all. And I recognized that this was taking place in my life. And I thought, what on earth is going on? What's wrong with me? This is, I, I only remember ever being like that when I was 15-year-old, testosterone-filled and trying to pummel people on the rugby pitch. What is going on? And I realized it, it came in tandem with me going through Scripture. And there wasn't anything that particularly pointed out, but just the washing of the word brought something that was a root inside of me that need to, needed to be dealt with. And chatting with Bonnie and all that kind of stuff, I, I just feel free. I just feel totally free. Came up out of nowhere. Gone. <clears throat> but this is the power that the spiritual disciplines can have in our life. And when they're not legalistic, they produce freedom in our lives. If we go to the next slide for me. Um, the, the last thing that I just want to say about it is uh, it's all about relationship. These spiritual disciplines. If we try and do them divorced from the Holy Spirit, it's just not going to work. Not going to work at all. And so as we come and embrace them, we need to make sure that we are striving to cleave to the Spirit so that the Spirit can reveal all things to us. And not just that, but that we do it together in community. Because there is power when we do these things together. It's great when we worship on our own, but wasn't it great to worship Jesus this morning? Real sense of the presence of the Lord.
okay? When there's confession that takes place in the house, there is a release of shame and guilt. When there is an attitude of submission and service that takes place together under one another. When we study the scriptures together, when we meditate upon stuff together, we see a power that releases something there. And we don't want to rob ourselves of that benefit. And so I just want to finish on this last thing, if we can put the last slide up. And it ties in, actually, with what Helen brought before about some people feeling that the, the vista of the stars had been clouded by the skies. And um, <clears throat> I, I just had a vision. I had this um, a little while ago, and I've just been kind of saving it for the opportune moment, and it seemed to fit in here. But I believe that, that people in this room are in different stages of um, potting. Um, but there are some people in the room that um, the roots are just a bit wild. They're not in good soil. They're not watered. And um, there, there's a, a real attention that's needed. And there needs to be a decision that's made that says, I'm in. Cut me away. Put me in good soil. Water me. I'm in. I'm tired of being dry. I don't want to be withered anymore. I'm in. There are people that um, feel like they're, they're, have you ever seen a pot of, uh, a plant pot where it's just overwatered and the soil is just sodden and what ends up happening is that the, root, uh, the leaves turn brown and the roots go rotten. And there are people in here that, that feel like that they are just overwhelmed. That they can't, they can't deal with what life is throwing at them. And that as the water is pouring down, it's just clogging up it doesn't seem like there's any, there's any way of escape. But there's a, an opportunity for you to, to have an a experience with the Holy Spirit that will release you and see that stuff just drain and slip away. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know how that's going to work in your life. But I believe that there are people in here that will go, yes, that's me. There are people in the room where your, plot is just, uh, your pot has got loads of weeds in it. And it just needs some time and attention to pull out the stuff that is distracting and clogging up your life and your walk with Jesus. There are people here that the pot is in the wrong place in the garden. There's not necessarily something that's massively wrong. There's just a shift that needs to take place. You need to be moved to a sunny spot or a shady spot or have different kind of soil or something like that. And there are some people here um, that, that need pruning that just needs some things cutting away. Again, it's not that there's anything that's bad. I know um, a few years ago, I realized I was spending too much time gaming. Not a bad thing to do gaming, but I was entering into a season of my life where it just needed to be cut away. I didn't like it, but it was the right thing to happen. It wasn't a sin, it wasn't wrong, but that's what happened. There's, there's things in your life or some people's lives that just need to be cut away. And the last one is that there are some people where it's time for you to be repotted. You have reached everything that you can reach in your current environment, in your current spot. And it's time for you to take on new responsibility, to take on new attitudes, to step out, to step in. Maybe it's new jobs. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But that as we, and we're going to spend just a little bit of time just allowing the Spirit to talk to us that you will really connect, that you'll need to see your pot 
enlarged for you to grow and thrive in everything that the Spirit wants. Does that make sense to people? Fantastic. <clears throat> One of the disciplines um, that is, uh, Jeff mentioned it before, that is, is not practiced very much at all is silence. And I think one of the reasons is because people get confused that, that when we are silent before the Lord, we're trying to empty ourselves before him. And that's, that's not true at all. That is of different religions. That is of yoga and all those kinds of things. And, and that is not uh, what needs to be taking place there because what we do is we present ourselves before the Lord and we try and fill ourselves with Jesus. We allow Jesus to come into us totally and fully. And so we're going to have a few minutes of silence. If you're, if you're not practiced in silence, it's okay. Not a lot of us are. Um, <clears throat> for me, I tend to use a phrase if ever I get distracted. I say, here I am, Lord. You could say, Father, or I'm listening, or whatever it is, just a short phrase. So if you start thinking about lunch, or if your bum's a little bit uncomfortable or anything like that, here I am, Lord. And you just represent yourself before God. And I believe that in this short time of silence, that as we allow the presence of Jesus to fill up in each one of us, that he'll just reveal certain things to us about this, this vision of the pots, this picture of the pots, and the Spirit will just press on certain things that we need to address in our lives <clears throat> so that we can be all that we can be in him. So we'll just be silent for a few minutes.